Philippians 2, 19-30. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. For receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Miriam. Well, it is, uh, it's interesting to track uh, cultural trends, and there's a cultural trend um, in pop culture that has taken place, a shift that has taken place in terms of what is a, uh, what is a hero? You know, a- ancient versions of what a hero was was someone who was willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the group, someone who had courage, someone who was willing to face evil and go and, and, and fight against it. And we still have these kind of modern-day kind of hero tropes. And we still have, you know, Marvel movies. It's very clear who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. The bad guys look bad and the good guys don't. And so it's, it's very clear they're, they're still out there. But there is this modern hero that has emerged that um, what makes a modern hero now is somebody who is willing to take the journey to discover themselves, to find themselves, and to name who they are really over and against uh, the herd mentality. Some, someone who, who does not... Um, let themselves be defined by the norms that are around them. And so you see this all over the place. You see, you know, our girl Elsa does it in Frozen when she lets it go and she throws off all the expectations of the world around her. Uh, You see this with the bearded woman in The Greatest Showman. She says, um, look out because here I come and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. And we all like, yes. Yes, we, it's, it just, it feels so empowering, just this non-conformity, and we love it. And it's just this, you know, this, these anthems of, of what it looks like to, to go against the crowd. Uh, our children got into this uh, movie, I guess it came out a couple years ago, called Vivo. It's a Lin-Manuel Miranda thing. And the main character of that show, or of that uh, movie, is Gabby. I, I put some of the lyrics of one of her um, uh, bangers on, on, on the front of your bulletin, but she says, she sings this song, I bounce to the beat of my own drum, 
and I, I'm so tempted to do the, you know, wrap the whole thing. I'm not going to, but you, but you can read it. You can read it on your own. She bounces to the beat of her own drum. And so you have all of these stories. You have all of these songs. Modern heroes are people who will not let themselves be defined by others, by their parents, by institutions, by those around them, even their own biology. And so it, it is it's these people that, that, are, that are willing to resist the crowd. And we have all of these proverbs and uh, modern-day slogans that really capture this idea where we say, don't let anyone tell you what is right for you. You decide what is best for you. Rise above the masses. Be true to yourself. Forge your own path. You do you. And, and these, uh, you know, there, there's some wisdom to this because there is healthy differentiation that needs to take place as people grow up and mature. And you do need to kind of understand yourself apart from pressures of everyone around you just telling you who you are. And yet, when, when that way of doing life gets ultimatized, which I think is a word, when that gets ultimatized, there, that creates problems. Because what's, what's also fascinating to track trend-wise, is that as we have shifted what a modern hero is, another trend has taken place. We have seen this rise in loneliness. And there's other factors for this, I realize. But, but you think about where we are in terms... I mean, there's, there's so many stats that I could throw you right now, how everybody is experiencing... Everyone's lonely. Everyone's feeling lonely. Uh, so much so, people are saying it is a societal epidemic... Uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, the United Kingdom hired, like created a position within their government and appointed somebody called the Minister of Loneliness. Their job, their full-time job is to address the impact of loneliness on society. Because as, as we are seeing all this research is coming out that loneliness is, is connected to cardiovascular disease, it's connected to depression, it's connected even to dementia. One um, study that I, I, I read about this week has linked loneliness, has said that loneliness has the same impact on mortality as does smoking or obesity. Like it actually impacts your life at that level. Again, certainly there are other factors to explain these trends, but you, you think about it like this. If your operating system is, I bounce to the beat of my own drum, and I get to define myself disconnected, completely disconnected from other people. My sense of self is determined disconnected from other people. Well, what have you done? You've just disconnected yourself from other people. If you shut other people out so that you have a privatized space to just be free on your own terms, you have also inadvertently shut yourself in. There's an author, James K.A. Smith, who who's, talks about this idea in one of his books, and he says this, quote, we thought that we were being our own liberators. It turns out we might just be our own jailers. Here's why I'm talking about all of this. Um, we have been walking our way through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. It's called Philippians. And we've seen that one of the main themes of this book is joy. And that can seem corny, but what, joy in terms of how the Bible describes it is not naive. It's not just, it's not sentimentality. It's not toxic positivity where we just smile and fake our way through life. It is a deep, defiant, 
hope-infused disposition. And the way that you get it is totally counterintuitive because most people think, well, the way that you get joy is you go out and you gain. I want, if, if I gain more money, then I'll get joy. Or more square footage, that will definitely give me joy. If I'm just more organized, I think that will give me joy. If I get more followers, more achievements, more goals, more, more whatever. That's how we think joy comes. More, 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 gain, gain, gain. And the Bible says it's actually the opposite. It comes when you lose. When you lose your consumerism, when you lose your selfish, selfish ambition, when you lose your status, when you lose your entitlement. And as we're going to see this morning, it even comes when you lose your individualism. When that instinct inside of you, when you say, I am free to determine my own self and my own truth apart from anybody else, when you lose that. Now, if you're going to lose that, if you're going to even dare to try to lose that, what does that mean that you have to become? What do you have to be in order to do that? And those are the two big ideas I want to explore with you this morning. In order for us to lose our individualism, we have to be, number one, connected And number two, committed. Connected to other people, committed to other people. So let's talk about those two ideas in that order. What does it mean for us to be connected to other people? Well, it's pretty simple, but I want to look at this passage. Um, At this point in the letter... Paul is, uh, Paul starts mentioning these two friends that he happens to have with him. He has this guy named Timothy with him, and he has this guy named Epaphroditus with him. And he says in this little section that he's planning on sending these two guys to this church in Philippi, which is miles and miles away. But you see it. Look at verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And then you see it in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, who are these two guys? Timothy was, um, was uh, Paul's kind of right-hand man. He was, he was with him. He traveled with him. He, did, he, went, he went on the, all these kind of missionary adventures with him. In fact, if you go back to the very first verse in this letter, Paul signs it. He, he, he signs it, Paul and Timothy, that these two guys in some ways co-authored this letter together. Timothy is like his intern. It's like his pastoral apprentice. They're buds. They do stuff together. Now, Epaphroditus, he's interesting because he is a member of this church in Philippi. And that church sent Epaphroditus to Paul to bring him some stuff, bring him gifts, bring him resources. Because Roman prisons, which is where Paul finds himself at at this point in his life, didn't take care of their prisoners. It's not like the state funded and fed they're prisoners. You are 100% dependent on your friends, on your family to take care of your own needs. And so there's this church. They have this guy, Epaphroditus, and he's willing to come and bring all of this stuff to Paul. We find out about that in chapter 4 of this letter. But as you see in verse 26, it says that he got ill on this trip. He was sick, and it was serious. We don't know what kind of sickness he came down with. I don't know if they had COVID back then or whatever, but he was sick with something. And look at verse 30. It says, he nearly died doing this. He's fine. He's alive. Paul is sending him back with this very letter to say, hey, Epaphroditus, now that you're well, go back home, bring them this letter, thank them for all the stuff that you brought. Now, 
Those are the players involved. You got Paul, the church, you got Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Cool. But if you zoom out and you think about the way and you see the way that these four entities are relating to each other, what you begin to see is this pattern emerging of their relationships are this interconnected, interdependent web of love and concern and, and, and care for each other. In fact, let, let me just walk through this passage briefly with you just so you can see what I'm talking about. Look at verse 20. This is Paul talking about Timothy. He says, I have no one like him. So now you have Paul caring for Timothy. This guy's awesome. I have nobody like him. Dude's amazing. The rest of verse 20. Uh, uh, verse 20. Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So now you have Timothy, who cares about the Philippians. He cares about them. He's concerned about their welfare. Look at verse 22. As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So now you have Timothy caring for Paul. He was like a son to me. He served with me. He came alongside of me even when I was in prison. Look at verse 25. Talking about Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and your minister to my need. So now you have the Philippians caring for Paul through Epaphroditus. They care about Paul so much they sent Epaphroditus to him to minister to his need. Look at verse 26. He, Epaphroditus, has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. So Epaphroditus cares for the Philippians. He's so worried because they're worried sick because they heard that he was sick. Look at verse 27. God had mercy on him, meaning God spared this dude's life, but not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So now you have Paul caring for Epaphroditus. He's saying God had mercy on him to spare him. Good grief, yes. But God was also being merciful to me because if I had lost this dude, man, I would have been devastated. Care about him so much. Verse 28 I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. So now you see Paul caring for the Philippians. I'm so excited to send him back to you because you're going to rejoice when you see him. You're going to be so relieved to link back up with him. I know you're worried. Here's the point. What you see is this interconnecting network where everybody is in this dance of love and concern for everybody. Paul loves Timothy, who loves the Philippians, who love Epaphroditus, who loves Timothy, who loves the Philippians, who love Paul. It's just this, you know, it's this whole thing, this interconnected, interlocking network of relationships connected to each other in love relationally. Here's the question. Do you have that? Is that what you experience around Christian community? Is that what you experience here at Redeemer? Because I would think most modern people, the way that they relate to their church is a little bit like um, taking a vitamin. You know, you take your vitamin on the, you know, every now and then or whatever. I'll take a weekly vitamin or a monthly vitamin or however often you come to a church, every three-month vitamin, where it's, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'll show up, get a little teaching, get a little worship, take my Jesus pill, and I'll go home. And then the way that I do my life, my real life, totally disconnected from these people and disconnected from what these people are 
trying to do. And because that is the way that most people have related to church, what churches have done to adapt is, for lack of a better word, to become showy, to make sure that what we're doing is really a concert followed up with a TED Talk. It's a performance, and you're putting out a product, and you're putting out, a, you're putting out content, and the point is to put out a product that is better than all the other churches so that you gain a bigger audience than all the other churches. And when churches function like that, it's, it's, it, becomes, it becomes so um, tailored to your needs, you don't even have to be here to enjoy it. You can watch from home, you can live stream, you can podcast it later, and you can go enjoy brunch right now. You don't even have to be here. But is that the picture that we see in this passage? Is that the picture that we see? What we actually have here is a group of people who are actually building their lives into each other's. This is one of the reasons why I say every single week, uh, Redeemer's not just a worship service. We also do stuff with each other outside of this one little block of time. And, and one of the things that we do with each other, one of the reasons we uh, have this is um, because you can just show up at Redeemer or any church, whatever church of your choice, and just enjoy the content, just enjoy the product. And that's great, but um, we want more for you, and we want more from you. And so we, we, we have different lanes. We have these things called community groups. This is a way for you to connect with other people in a smaller, intimate space, because the reality is it's really easy in Memphis to be isolated, disconnected from other people. And it's easy to even show up at a church like this. This is not a massive church by any means, but you can come into a room like this and feel like, I don't know any of these people. I don't, I don't know if I want to talk to any of these people. And, just, and you can come in, get your vitamin, and leave. And that's great. But what you see in the Bible is language of the Christian community as family, which is very different from just showing up and taking a vitamin. In fact, you know, I already referenced this, but if you look back at verse 22, Paul refers to Timothy as his son, family language. In verse 25, Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother, family. This is not just what the vision of Redeemer is. This is what every human being deep down actually wants. We want a place where people know us. We want a place where we belong. We want to be a part of something where people are praying for us particularly, where we can show up somewhere and say to a group of people, maybe across a fire pit or across coffee or in a living room, and say, I am struggling with X, and have another person in that room say, me too so that you know that you're not alone. Everybody deep down wants to know that there are people out there in the city that have signed up to intertwine their lives with yours, where they will show up for you in those moments. They'll show up for you in the hospital. They'll bring you the meals when you're overwhelmed. That's what we all want. Bouncing to the beat of your own drum, living life on your own terms is at odds with that vision of how to have relationships like that. That instinct of I will do life my way independently from everybody else, that individualism has to get lost if you want this. If you want interconnected, deep, 
life, friendships, and relationships. But here's the question. How do you get that, though? That's dreamy. That's a nice um, idealistic vision. How do you actually get it? And that's the second thing I want to explore with you. It's, it's not about just being connected to each other. But secondly, it's about, it's about being committed to each other. You know, what's wonderful about this passage is you see all these people have these fond affections and feelings for each other, but their relationships are marked by sacrifice. Their relationships are really marked by sacrificial love. Think about Epaphroditus again. He was just a dude in his local church, just a member at the church in Philippi, and maybe he was the guy that brewed the coffee every week. Maybe he was the guy that passed out the bulletins and greeted, greeted people when they came in whatever they used back then, scrolls or papyrus. I don't know what he was passing out, but he's just a dude in his church. And one day, the pastor shows up at that church, Redeemer of Philippi, and the pastor says, hey, we're so glad that you are here. Welcome to Redeemer. We are a church that is trying to learn how to love God and how to love our neighbors in Philippi. And it has been brought to our attention that there's this big need. One of our, our, our founding pastor and our good friend Paul has been arrested in Rome, and uh, he needs our help. He needs our help. He needs our financial help. He needs our financial assistance. So we're going to take up a special collection. We're going to pass around the plates, and we're going to collect some money and raise some money so we can go help him. But the problem is, is we need one of y'all to volunteer to go deliver it to him. And Epaphroditus raises his hand, and he's in the back, and he says, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take it. Great. Guess what Epaphroditus just signed up for? Do you know how far away Philippi is from Rome? Philippi is in northern Greece. Rome is 800 miles away. There were no cars. There were no airplanes, no segways. And dude had to walk, which would have been um, no less than six weeks one way. I looked, on, I looked on Google Maps, and this would be like you walking from Memphis to Toronto, Canada, signing up to do that. Now, here's a guy who had a life. He just didn't have endless free time. Dude had a job, probably was in the middle of projects. He probably had goals he was in the middle of trying to reach. He most likely had a family. I mean, can you imagine that conversation between him and his wife? Hey, I'm going to go visit a friend, sweetie. I'll be back in three months. I mean, that's a, big, that's a big burden that he just put on her. So you have this sacrifice of time, effort. I mean, he put, he put his life on hold. And as we find out even later, he got sick. And so he literally risked his life for Paul. Now think about Paul for a second because Paul's making sacrifices here too. Paul's in a Roman prison. It's dark. It's gloomy. He, he would enjoy having Timothy and Epaphroditus next to him and near him. But he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to send y'all away. I'm going to send y'all back to this church. Why would he do that? Because the church, in his mind, needs them a lot more than I do. And so he's willing to sacrifice his comfort for the sake of the church. The Philippians, he's, he's prioritizing their needs over his own. Here's, here's the point. Everybody in this passage is sacrificing. The church is sacrificing. They're raising all this money. They're, they're, they're sacrificing their, their stuff. 
Epaphroditus is sacrificing his, uh, his time and his life. Uh, Paul is, is sacrificing his comfort with, with Timothy and Epaphroditus. Everybody in this passage is sacrificing stuff. And here's the reason why. The only reason, the only way that you can be really, really connected to other people is when you're committed to other people. Real love always involves sacrifice. Always. That is not how most modern people do relationships. Most modern people do relationships like this. I am willing to be in a relationship with you as long as it benefits me. If, uh, if you're easy to hang around with, if you're cool, if you're fun, if you advance my career, if you enhance my life in some way, if you affirm all of my decisions, if you agree with me politically, I'm in. I will be in a relationship with you. But the moment you start to get awkward, socially awkward, the moment you start to get draining, the moment this gets messy or hard, when, whenever, if you're going to challenge me on anything, I'm less interested. We tend to distance ourselves from people who drain, take, exhaust, and what we see in this passage is real joy, Philippian joy, only comes when you're willing to lose, only comes when you're willing to sacrifice. We love to love other people up to the point when it costs us something. And what this is saying is real love is on the other side of that. I heard a friend of mine tell this story that he heard from, uh, from Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott's a you know, famous author, speaker. And she tells the story, uh, this true story, of this eight-year-old boy who has a younger sister who is uh, sick and struggling with leukemia. So the parents come to the little boy and say, hey, your sister is going to die unless she gets a blood transfusion. Would you be willing for us to test your blood? And he said, yeah, I'd be willing to do that. So they test him. It turns out he's a match with his sister. So they go back to this boy and they say, would you be willing for us to take a pint of your blood so that your sister can live? And he said, I'm going to need to think about that overnight. And he takes the night and he comes back to his parents the next morning and he says, yes, I am willing to do that. So they go and they go to the hospital and they, um, the, the image is you have the boy and his sister next to each other on beds and they've got IVs hooked up to each other and, and the blood is slowly coming out of his arm and uh, after a while the doctor comes by, checks on him, sees how he's doing and he opens up his eyes and he says, Doctor, how soon until I die? And you realize, oh, that's what he thought he was signing up for here. And it's beautiful. But you think about what was going through his mind that night as he's wrestling with what to do. And he eventually lands on this place where he says, I love my sister enough that I'm willing to die for her. Real love involves sacrifice. 
Now, here's the question. How in the world do you, where do you get the inner resources to do that? None of us wants to do that. Where do you get the inner resources to say, I, I will give up my time, I'll give up my comfort, I will give up my energy, I'll give up my money, I'll give up my blood for another human being. Where does that come from? The only way that you can tap into the resources to do that like this is to look at King Jesus and to see and to receive the ways that he has done this for you. Because you think about Epaphroditus. Okay, he traveled across the Mediterranean and he risked his life for the sake of his friends. Here you have Jesus who traveled a much greater distance. He travels across the universe. He leaves the glories of heaven and he comes all the way down to earth. He, I don't even know how to calculate that. He travels a lot farther distance and he comes and he doesn't just risk his life for his friends. He sacrifices his life. He gives away his life for his enemies. He loves his enemies enough to love them into life and wholeness and healing that he's willing to give his time and his reputation and his comfort and his blood and his oxygen and his very life. He's willing to drain all of his blood so that he might give life to you and to me. That's where you get the resources. When you begin to realize, oh my goodness, this is a love that is more connected and more committed than I have ever experienced. This is a love that will not let me go. This is a love that will not retreat when I am messy, when I am a burden, when I am too much. This is a love that is overwhelming me with resources because I have him. Jesus hung on the cross to give you him. But here's the other thing you have to hear. He also hung on the cross to give you each other. Everything in me, and my guess, everything in you, is, is going to want to privatize our faith, just make this little thing about me and Jesus, and then we're going to want to relate to other people as if they're commodities, and we're going to want to relate to the community and the church as if it's just content that we can consume, just a concert and a TED Talk. But if we're going to experience what this passage is even, even suggesting... We have to lose our individualism. We have to lose that instinct in us that says, I will live life on my own terms apart from other people. And we receive Jesus and each other. Consider that an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we know that uh, relationships are hard and they are messy and they are taxing and it is, it is so easy to want to retreat. It's so easy to just want to avoid people or to only be around people that stroke our egos, make life simple, make life easy. We need you to teach us the ways of Jesus. We need you to give us the resources that we don't have to give ourselves away for people that we might not even like being around. Train us in this. Shape us in this. This is not how we are naturally wired. And I pray that by your grace and by your spirit, you would give us more of yourself and more of each other. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.